All right, turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter number 7. Joshua, chapter number 7. Man, it's good to be back in the house of the Lord. Amen. And uh, we're thrilled to be back. We, we had a good time. We appreciate your prayers. And um, we, we learned some things. Uh, you get in the car and drive all the way across the country uh, and spend six days in the car, you learn some things. Amen. But we, uh, we, we learned a lot of things. Enjoyed, got to see a lot of wildlife and everything. And we learned you can't. You can't saddle them big buffalo. And uh, it's not that it can't be done. It's just in park rangers don't think it's that funny when you do it. Amen. So we're excited. We want to go back, but it's going to be three to five years depending on my court date. So we're, we're excited to, we're excited to be home in the Lord's house. And we've sure missed you and excited for what God's going to do. Joshua chapter number seven. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture here this morning. So be forewarned. Amen. We're going to read. 26 verses here. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that this uh, should have been a moment of great triumph for the children of Israel. In Joshua chapter 6, the previous chapter, uh, God overthrew the walled city of Jericho, an impenetrable city, a, a foreboding obstacle on their march through the land of Canaan. But God, in His power, you know, there's nothing too big for God. And uh, God had a plan. It, didn't, it, it wasn't the plan Joshua would have come up with. It wasn't the plan you or I would have come up with. But God had a plan. And that plan worked, amen, because his plans always work. And they marched around the city of Jericho. They shouted. They blew the trumpets. And the wall came tumbling down. And God wrought a great victory that day in Israel. Now, if, if things had went the way that you or I wish that it would have gone, chapter 7 would have continued by saying they just kept whooping them. It would have gone on to say how they went from victory to greater victory to greater victory. Uh, but God, in the honesty of His Word, He gives us a cautionary tale of why that was not the case for the children of Israel. And so chapter 7 of the book of Joshua, it begins this way. There's been a great victory. God has uh, overthrown their enemies. So the Bible starts this chapter this way. It says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but a few. So there went up thither the people, about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim, and smote them into going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes, fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? The Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have taken of the accursed thing, 
and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So Joshua rose up early in the morning, brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the God, Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran under the tent. And behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of the place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the house of God and the people of God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we uh, adjust our thoughts and our mind upon your word, that, Lord, you would have free course and liberty to deal with us, that we would not stand and impede in opposition and defiance and rebellion of You. But Lord, that we would recognize that You are our God and we Your children. You are our Creator and us Your creature and that You have every right to take inventory of our life. You have every right to every corner of our heart and our behavior and our conduct. Lord, that You have every right to expose in our hearts and minds through the Holy Spirit where we have sin in our lives and that we have every responsibility uh, to confess that sin to You and to ask forgiveness. Lord, may we leave this place closer to Christ, closer to You, with cleaner lives. And Lord, I pray if there's one under the sound of my voice that's lost, that they'd not leave here lost, but that they'd see that Christ died for them too and He loves them too. And they too can be saved by the grace of God. Lord, we love You and we thank You and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. In Joshua chapter number 7, we have the sad and cautionary tale of a man by the name of Achan. We've read it, and I won't take uh, much time to relive what we have just reread this morning. 
But Achan was a man who made in a moment the worst, most tragic decision that a man can make. But whenever God uh, commanded them to destroy uh, Jericho, He gave this provision in destroying the uh, city of Jericho. He said that everything in there uh, belongs to me. You can overthrow the city. You can destroy the city. In fact, God called Jericho a cursed place. He said that if a man ever tried to rebuild it, he would set the gates thereof in his firstborn. He'd lay the foundation thereof in his secondborn. That if a man ever tried to rebuild what God had torn down, that it would bring a curse about in their life. And God had warned the children of Israel. He said, when you destroy Jericho, you're going to see a lot of beautiful things, a lot of costly things, a lot of tempting things. But I'm warning you now, if you take those things unto yourself, they'll become a curse to you. Therefore, those things belong to me. Leave them and do not partake in them. We sadly read of this man by the name of Achan, whose name, by the way, means troubler or troublemaker. Let me just say this. Hey, listen, when we get involved in sin, we bring trouble on ourselves. When we get involved in sin, we bring trouble on our community. When we get involved in sin, we bring trouble into our family. And Achan certainly was a troublemaker. Now, he wasn't a troublemaker because he was an agitator at heart. He wasn't a troublemaker because he was hostile or contentious. But rather, the trouble that he brought in Israel, the folly that he wrought in Israel, was in that moment of temptation, instead of resisting, instead of running, he partook in the accursed thing. Now somebody's going to say, well, preacher, you're being awful hard on Achan. Uh, you're being awful hard on this family. I mean, God judged him and what a harsh punishment was placed upon him. Can I remind you, listen, I, I know it's easy to look at it and say how sad it is that this man and his wife and his children died and his oxen died and his sheep died. I don't know. It don't say it. you got to look in a concordance, but I think they kicked his dog too. Somebody say amen. You say how sad that is that all this tragedy befell him. But I'd say this, why don't we weep for the 36 men who perished in Ai? Your sin don't just affect you, friend. It affects everybody around you. The great danger in Achan's sin was not merely that he committed sin. Undoubtedly, there were plenty of people in the land of Israel that committed sin on that day. Maybe not similar to Achan's, but they committed sin. But the great danger in Achan's sin was that he took that and he hid that among his own stuff. Can I say to you, in your life and mine, we're going to do wrong from time to time. We're going to sin. I don't think we should take that and resign ourselves to it. I don't think we should have an attitude of, well, you know, I'm a sinner, so I'm going to sin and it's okay. Uh, listen, you, you are a sinner saved by grace, uh, but don't emphasize the sinner, emphasize the grace. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, but I would say this, the great danger in our life, we're all going to sin. We're all going to do wrong. But there is something distinctly dangerous and destructive and nefarious about taking that sin and bearing it away in our life and hiding it and taking it unto ourselves. I want to preach to you on the topic of hidden sin this morning. It wasn't just sin that destroyed Achan and his family. It was hidden sin. And I'd say this, believers, by, by nature of their relationship with God, we usually have a problem with that hidden sin. Most of us, if we're going to live in the house of God, if we're going to stay in church, if we're going to, if we're going to presume and, and, and project to the world that we know God and love God, that don't mean we're not going to sin, but most often here's what we do. We take that sin and we bury it away so that nobody else can see it. I, I, I'd say there's probably some folks, I don't know, I, I, I don't have a crystal ball or, or, or I'm not a palm reader and even if I had both those things, it still wouldn't do no good. Uh, but there's probably folks even in this room got some things in their life that they ain't proud of some things that they're embarrassed about, uh, some things in their life that stand between them and God, and that thing's lived in your life and dwelt in your life, and instead of getting that thing out in the eyes of God and confessing it to God, let me go ahead and say this, God knows about it already. 
I remember hearing a preacher say one time, you know, sometimes people say simple things that are profound. I remember hearing a preacher say one time, you might as well tell God because He already knows about it. He already knows it. You ain't hiding it from Him. You're hiding it from others, but you ain't hiding it from Him. But let me just serve notice this morning. All sin destroys, but hidden sin really takes root. It destroys in a deeper way, for it ingrains itself into our life and has the opportunity to destroy not just your life or my life, but the lives of literally all those around us. What could we say about Achan's sin and the hidden nature of it? Well, let me notice, before we get into the message this morning, I don't know how them fellas preached when I wasn't here. Probably a lot shorter and a lot better, amen. But but let me just, before we get into the beginning of the introduction to the message, let me say this this morning. Let me ask you this question. When is there a great danger of hidden sin? You see, before we even say anything about Achan's sin, I think we have to consider the context surrounding Achan's sin. When is it that it is so dangerous, so apt, so opportune that we would fall into hidden sin? I'd say, number one, when uh, there has been a great victory, there is a great danger of hidden sin. Uh, the children of Israel, man, they're running on cloud nine. I mean, they're floating from what God has done in the city of Jericho. And let me say, I hope God tears down walls in your life. I hope God does big things. I hope God uh, throws down enemies and lowers mountains and raises valleys. But understand that with those great things that God does comes a great measure of responsibility. Because very often in those moments of great victory, we let down our guard and we allow things in our life that do not belong there. Now, this may not be true for you. Somebody ought to give me an amen. I ain't heard one. They don't amen up in Wyoming, so I ought to get one when I come back to Tennessee. Uh, so somebody give me an amen right here. But the fact of the matter is, it is often in those great mountain peak experiences, if your life's anything like mine, that we fall into the darkest of our sins. We better recognize that moments of great victory, there is a potential for hidden sin. And you know why? Very often we want to hide it because everything's going so well. We kind of hate to just up and admit that we let God down, that we let our guard down, and that we allowed sin in our life. And so very often, rather than admitting and allowing ourselves to be dragged down from that great buoyant excitement of what God has done, we'll just bury that thing, put a mask on it, ignore it, pretend it's not there, and try to go on like everything is the way that it was at moments of great victory. But then I would say this, they didn't just come out of a battle. If I read my Bible right, they had a battle behind them, but they had a battle in front of them too. They were going and they were going to fight the city of Ai. Now, somebody's going to say, well, the city of Ai wasn't a great opportunity in front of them. It was a small city. It was big enough to whoop them when God went with them. Can I say this to you this morning? Hey, it don't take much to whip us when we don't have the help of God. I mean, sometimes we get an outsized opinion of who we are. But it don't take much to lay us low if God has not given us the help. That we need. I would say this not only at a moment of great victory, but at a moment of great opportunity, hidden sin will often pop up. In other words, as we've just come out of God doing something great, but often when we are on the cusp of God doing something great. And I would say this usually we're not even aware of just how great of things God's getting ready to do. There's no telling. I mean, this battle was delayed and short-circuited because of Achan's sin. And that's not by any surprise because the devil often picks those moments to target us. Uh, you and I may not be as wise or subtle, humanly speaking, or, or, or uh, satanically speaking as the devil is, but understand, often he has a better lay of the land than even we do. And if he has approached you in your life and tried to get sin in your life, he probably knows there's something big that God's getting ready to do. I would say that really, and maybe you're going to say, well, preacher, this is cheating with what you're about to say, and maybe it is, 
But I'd say after a great battle or before a great battle, there's a great danger of hidden sin. In your life, when God has done something or when God's getting ready to do something, there is a temptation to allow sin in our lives. What can we say about Achan's sin? I'd say three things and then be done this morning. Number one, I want you to notice with me the reality of Achan's sin. Now, if I was Achan, and let me admit that symbolically I've been Achan at times. I've let sin in my life, and and I probably would have rationalized it away the same way that Achan did. He probably said to himself, well, nobody's going to miss this Babylonian garment. I mean, nobody's going to miss this silver. Nobody's going to miss this gold. He probably said to himself, it's a victimless crime. Uh, Wouldn't it be a shame? I mean, God doesn't want us to waste anything, right? So I guess I better take this and keep this for myself. God wants us to be a good steward. I'm sure he made all the excuses for why sinning was okay. It is amazing the the mental gymnastics that we can do to rationalize and justify our sin. We can take things that we know are wrong and make them right. We can take things that we know will destroy us and make it seem like it's for our benefit. And I'm sure Achan did all of those things. I'm sure he convinced himself that it was okay. I I can imagine conversations between him and his wife. He's saying to her, honey, I've always wanted to get you a new dress. And and, and imagine, I mean, we could put a new addition onto the tent with all that silver and and we could buy an upgrade and get a better camel if we just had that gold. I mean, there's all these reasons why it's okay. But can I say this? We're not convincing God. We're just convincing us. God has already laid out what is right and what is wrong. If we're convincing anyone about sin, we're convincing ourselves, we're convincing others, but God already has His mind made up about what is right and what is wrong. But when God describes Achan's sin, there's no flowery language. When God describes it, He pulls no punches. When God describes it, there's no sugarcoating laid upon it. Notice verse number 11 with me, how God describes his sin. I'm sure Achan had all kinds of reasons it was okay, but notice the reality of his hidden sin. Verse number 11, God says this, Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen, and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. God says four things about Achan's sin. And these things are true about the sin that you're concealing in your life. These things are true about the sin that you've buried in your life. What could we say about it? Number one, I'd say this. Hidden sin defies God. Notice how he describes it in verse number 11. He says, they have transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. You know the main problem with sin? You're going to laugh when I say this. You You know the main problem with sin is God says it's wrong. Now, you're going to say, well, preacher, that's silly. That, that, that's elementary. I mean, that's childish. No, 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 that's the truth. As long as we believe that what designates sin is it being unpleasant or undesirable in our eyes, then the metric of what is sin will always and ever be shifting and moving. Stop and think about in our society today the things that are commonly accepted and not just accepted but applauded today because people view it and deem it as being beneficial or being healthy or being okay or giving peace of mind and yet it's destroying lives. But the Word of God doesn't change. It says what is right irrespective of how society feels. But I'm beyond, I don't mean to be ugly when I say this, but God didn't ask for your opinion or my opinion when He told us what is right and wrong. He told us what is true and what is right and wrong. And when we commit sin, the main problem with it is not that somebody gets upset. The main problem with it is not even that it hurts us, although it will destroy us. The main problem with sin is that it is defiance against God. 
And therefore, even the things that you or I might look at and say, well, I don't see any harm in that. God says there is harm in it. And He's the one, the book of Hebrews says, with whom we have to do. I would say this hidden sin is defiance against God. We may claim somehow in our mind that us being embarrassed enough to hide it is a concession or a hat tip towards God that we're not trying to be brash and and open and abrupt in our defiance. But we can dress it up however we want. Sin is sin. Sin is disobedience to God. Hidden sin is defiance. Notice the second thing he says, for they have taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen. Now that's interesting language to me. Because what God says here, when He says they've taken of the accursed thing, it's not that there was anything intrinsically wrong with that garment and that silver and that gold. After all, God grew the the, the plants and, and trees that were used to make the fabric for the garment. God planted the silver and the gold in the earth. None of these things were wrong in and of themselves. They were wrong because God said those don't belong to you. They belong to me. I would say this hidden sin defies, but number two, hidden sin defrauds. And and let me just say, both of these things could be said really about all sin. Not just hidden sin, but open sin. Open sin and hidden sin are defiance against God. But not only that, they are taking something that does not belong to us. I know you've been told that the earth is yours. It's your oyster and you ought to live it to the fullest and you ought to claim every pearl that the earth provides and that the world provides. But the Bible tells us different. The Bible tells us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And can I just say, you don't have a right to sin. I don't have a right to sin. I understand we do sin and you do and I do and and we're aware. But we don't have a right to sin. We've been told in our society, I mean, everything's a right now. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a right to have blue shoes. It's a, it's a right to drive any old way you want. I mean, it's a right to anything. The only thing that I really believe is a God-given right outside of what is outlined in the Bible and the Constitution is to have actual sweet tea in every restaurant. And I don't know that I, you know, I didn't appreciate it, but you drive across the country and you have that horrifying moment where you say, I'd like a sweet tea and they say, we don't have sweet tea. And you say, what do you mean? They say, well, we have tea and we have sweetener. And I just, I wanted to get up and walk away. I mean, I didn't even know what to say. What do you say to that kind of darkness? You know? Everything is treated as though it is a right. And by the way, we live in a day today where things have been legislated as being your right that are sins in the eyes of God. And listen, if you if you want to live like a pagan, if you want to live like somebody that's only guard and governance is whatever society dictates, that's your choice. Well, I'd say this, you're picking the losing side because society's burning down to the very foundation. But if you're going to call yourself a Bible believer, you better recognize that you don't have the right to sin. When you sin, you're taking something that doesn't belong to you. God says, here's why you can't have it, because it's mine. It belongs to me. And you, as uh, by then of being my creation, uh, you don't have anything, any rights apart from me. They are inalienable rights given by God. So they're His rights. And they're given to us. Therefore, if God says you don't have a right to that thing, you don't have a right to it. I don't care if society applauds you for it. I don't care if social media likes you for it. I don't care if they legislate it into being okay. I don't care if they start parades for it and give months to it. If it's sin, it's sin. And you don't have a right to it. I'd say this, sin defrauds. Not only does hidden sin define defraud, but notice what he says. He says they have taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen. And then he says this, and dissembled also. Now that's an interesting word, dissemble. We find a clear explanation of what it means actually in the New Testament. 
I don't know if you remember this, but in the book of Galatians, Paul, in writing to the church of Galatia, he talks about an episode that occurred uh, between him and Simon Peter. And he uses this word dissembled. So how do we know what the word dissembled means? Well, we let the Bible define its words for us. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul says this, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. This is why Paul did that. For before that, certain came from James, those were Jews, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, when the Jewish believers were come from James, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Then Paul says this, And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Here's what Paul goes on to explain that Peter was doing. Whenever it was just Peter and the Gentiles there, he'd sit down, he'd break bread with them, he'd hug their necks, he'd fellowship with them, he'd say, man, isn't it good to be a new creature in Christ Jesus? Isn't it wonderful that who we are is who we are in Christ? But then some Jewish believers came from uh, Jerusalem. And when they showed up, Peter got a little nervous because he didn't know how they were going to feel about him being so cozy with these Gentiles. So all of a sudden, it came lunchtime at the church at Antioch, and he took his little tray and he sat at a different table. And they came over and they said, hey, Peter, I mean, you know, you, you, it was good enough to eat with us yesterday. Why aren't you here? And he just sort of ignored them and separated themselves so much that it caused a rift in that church. Paul says to Peter, he says, why, uh, if thou being a Jew livest as a Gentile, why compel us these Gentiles to live as do the Jews? In other words, he says this, if, if they were good enough before these Jews showed up, why aren't they good enough after these Jews showed up? And Paul calls that, dissimulation. He says they dissemble. So what does it mean to dissemble? Well, you could simply say it means to deceive, but it goes a little further than that. In other words, it's to be one person in front of one group of people and to be a different person in front of another group of people. We could say it this way, that hidden sin puts a mask on us. Hidden sin makes us play the role of a hypocrite. Hidden sin makes us one thing in private and another thing in public. In fact, I'd say this, if you're a Christian, if you're in the house of God, if you're, uh, if you're around the people of God, you probably, if you go to any kind of church like it ought to be, you can't get involved in sin without becoming a hypocrite. It ought to be the house of God is, is straight enough and is scriptural enough that if a man's living in sin, and I don't just mean he messes up, I don't just mean he's overtaken with a fault, but he's living in sin, he's embraced that sin, that if he's going to keep going to church, he ought to have to be a hypocrite to do it. People say sometimes, I don't want to go to church where all the hypocrites are. The hypocrites are at Walmart too. They can just live like reprobates there. The only difference is when you come to the house of God, there's an expectation that you're going to live like a Christian. Is that a bad thing? I don't think that's a bad thing. So I'd say this, the nefarious thing about hidden sin, it, it creates us into being a hypocrite. We have to play a role. We have to be one person in front of the people of God and another person when we're at home. He uh, speaks of them dissembling. And then he says this, he says they have put it even among their own stuff. Now, something that I think is good, when you study the Bible, you ought to look for what human intelligence would call redundancy. Now, what I mean is, is that statement seems unnecessary, doesn't it? I, I mean, of course, if he takes this Babylonish garment and this silver and gold, and he can't go out and sell it because he ain't even supposed to have it, of course he's going to take it and bury it away and hide it. So why does God go out of His way to tell us that Achan had taken this and then he took it home and he put it among his own stuff? Here's why. Look at verse 12. God says, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. 
but turned their backs before their enemies. Here's why. Notice this. Because they were accursed. Now, why were the children of Israel accursed? He says, neither will I be with you anymore, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. It sounds like he's talking about an individual, a person. He's saying you as people are accursed people. He says, up, sanctify the people, verse 13, and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Do you notice what the Holy Ghost does there? He says, here's your problem. You're accursed. And then he says, the reason you're accursed is because you've got something that is accursed in your camp. I would say this, that hidden sin, it not only defies and defrauds and dissembles, but it defiles a person's life. The reason I think the Holy Spirit uses that language of saying He put it amongst His own stuff is when you take some possessions, nine-tenths of the law, you take something and put it among your own stuff. It is now indistinguishable from your stuff. And now it has been ingrated into His life. It has been grafted into His life. And now you can't distinguish between the thing that's accursed and the person that's accursed. You know the thing that's so dangerous about hidden sin? We take that thing and bury it away and nobody knows about it but us and God. And we don't care God's opinion or else we won't be living in sin. We do that. There's no one now to hold us accountable. And that thing becomes a part of us. We no longer view it as being something alien that has entered our life that doesn't belong there. Now, man, it's just more of our own stuff. Because let me tell you the truth now. If you're worried about, you can't hold yourself accountable. When you live in deceit, the first person you deceive in order to live in deceit is yourself. That's why we need the people of God. That's why we need the house of God. That's why when God sent them out, He sent them out two by two. He said if one falls in the ditch, the other can help them up out of the ditch. But here's the problem. If you're the only one going, you might start to think the ditch is the road. And say, well, this is pretty comfortable. Achan took this accursed thing and it became a part of him. It became a part of his life. It became a part of his family. So much so that when God wants to destroy the thing, He has to destroy the person to get rid of the thing. You might say, well, preacher, couldn't Achan have repented? He could have. He wasn't willing to. It was now a part of his life. And in your life and mine, when we have hidden sin and we refuse to be honest about it and we refuse to confess it to God and nobody knows about it but us, very often God has no checks and balances to deal with it in our life. And the only way He can deal with that accursed thing is to deal with the accursed person. Hidden sin, it defiles a person's life. We see the reality that God presents. But notice number two this morning, the misery of hidden sin. Now, I ain't going to say a lot about this, but I, but I did. Sometimes I, sometimes I think. A lot of times I don't. <laughs> but every now and then I'll sit and I'll think. I, I was meditating on this passage and on this experience in Achan's life. And you know, I thought to myself, what a miserable thing it must have been from the moment he took that till the moment he was exposed. You know, if we're to be honest... There wasn't a single thing that he was benefited by concerning this sin. He stole this object, he buried it in his tent, and the next time he sees it is when it's being confiscated and he's being carried away to be executed for his sin. Can I say in, in the life of the believer, hey, when you're lost, you could have pleasure in sin for a season. But in this New Testament dispensation of grace, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and you don't get a moment of peace when you live in sin. 
Sin will not bring you any happiness. It won't bring you any joy. It won't bring you any pleasure. There is only misery in a person's sin. When I read this, I think about the misery he must have experienced. I notice three things. Number one, I notice that he couldn't escape the punishment of sin, no matter how he tried to hide it. Uh, Think about this scene, verse number 16. The Bible says Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Now you can imagine in that moment that he's just sort of calming his nerves, and he says, well, there's only 12 tribes. There was a one in twelve chance that they were going to pick my tribe, but it probably doesn't mean anything. There's there's tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands in the tribe of, of Judah. I mean, we're a long way from, from getting caught here. But then the Bible says this. He brought the family of Judah and he took the family of the Zarhites. Now all of a sudden, Achan says, well, maybe they're on to something. Maybe they know. But there's still a lot of people in this family. There's my family. There's my, my cousins. There's my aunties. There's my uncles. There's, there, there's my second cousins, third, fourth, twice removed. I mean, what are the chances they're going to come down to me? And then the Bible says this. Not only did they take the family of the Zarhites, but he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. Now all of a sudden the sweat starts to beat up on Achan's brow and he's wondering who's talked, who spoke, who knew something. He knows nobody. And it's possible not even his wife knew. It's possible not even his family knew. And he's thinking, how possibly could God know this? Maybe I'll still escape. Maybe I can slip out. But before he can slip out, the Bible tells this, that Zabdi was taken and he brought his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Why do we hide sin? We hide sin for two reasons. We hide it, one, because we think we can hold on to it longer. We think that if we don't tell nobody about it and we keep it secret, we can get away with it longer. And then if you live like that long enough, pretty soon you'll rationalize your mind enough to where you'll start to think that somehow you're going to get away with it. I'll tell you this, there's no escaping. God already knows about it. If God wanted to, hey, He could thunder from heaven and name your sin right now if He wanted to. Preacher, why doesn't He do it? Because He's merciful. Because He's gracious. Because He's long-suffering. Because He'd rather you speak it to Him than Him speak it to you. But at the end of the day, understand, you'll not escape the punishment of that sin. You're a child of God and God tends His children. And God will not allow you to escape that punishment. Sooner or later, you say, but preacher, nobody knows. Yes, God knows. Preacher, nobody else knows. Nobody else is whom with, with whom we have to do. He's the one that we have to deal with. And He's the one that already... You ain't hiding it from Him. He already knows about it. I would say that, that He couldn't escape the punishment of sin. But then I thought about this. Notice when He tells the story, verse number 20. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. Now, what did he do with them? The Bible says he took them and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Let me say not only he couldn't escape the punishment of sin, but he couldn't enjoy the pleasure of sin. He uh, never spent an ounce of this silver or this gold. He never wore this Babylonian garment. He never got to enjoy sin in the way that a man living in open defiance of God could have enjoyed that sin. Uh, listen, I'll be honest. You with me this morning? You all right? You're a little quiet. Did I grow a third eye or something while I was gone? You okay? I don't know what these people did that preach. They must have abused you. It's okay. I'm back. You can amen. You can worship. Somebody say amen. But you understand that there is pleasure in sin for a season, but for the believer, there's not. 
From the moment that you engage in sin, your heart will smite you, your conscience will condemn you, the Word of God will judge you. You don't get a moment free of that condemnation. You know, we talk about it all the time in the book of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. Read a little further. It goes on to say, which walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Here's the fact of the matter. When you and I live in sin, there is condemnation in our life. Our heart condemns us. The Word of God condemns us. Now I'm thankful it cannot send us to hell if we've been born again. But it will continually, it will ring the bell of our guilt in our mind. I see that he couldn't enjoy the pleasure of sin. But then I thought about this. He can't never employ the profit of sin. Notice verse number 22. The Bible says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent. I don't know what Achan had planned for this money. He might have had no plans for it. But chances are, if he coveted them, it was not because he just wanted them to, to look at it. He didn't just want it for a mantle piece. He, he wanted these things because he intended on doing something with these things. And you know, often in your life and mine, when we get involved in sin, we have these, these futile and foolish grand ideas of how we're going to go on and get away with our sin and enjoy our sin and our life will be bettered by our sin and we, we write this whole story in our mind of how it's going to go phenomenally when we get engaged in sin. But you know, here's the truth. And a lost man may be able to enjoy a portion of that. A lost man may be able to lie in the place of business and get that promotion. A lost man may be able to steal in public life and go spend that money. A lost man may be able to mistreat people and abuse people and gain power and position through it. But you're not a lost man if you've been born again. You're a child of God. And God's going to keep His children accountable. Whatever profit sin may bring temporarily in a person's life, that don't belong to you as a Christian. God won't let you enjoy it. Let me say it again. God won't let you enjoy it. I don't know if you heard me, so I'm going to say it one more time. God won't let you enjoy your sin. And so all it will bring is misery in your life. Uh, let me say that about a million times, but I'm going to say it so quick it's going to sound like I'm saying it once. God won't let you enjoy sin in your life. You lost that right when you got born again. You lost that right when you became a child of God. You say, preacher, I can live in sin if I want to. Hey, you can live in pleasure, but you'll be dead while you live. There won't be no peace in it. There won't be no joy in it. There won't be no contentment in it. It will bring only misery in your life. I see the reality of hidden sin. I see the misery of hidden sin. But finally, and I'll be done this morning, I see the tragedy of hidden sin. What did it do to his life? What did it do to the lives of others? I see two tragic, basically two tragic things that resulted. Number one, I notice what it destroyed. Sin will always bring destruction into your life. It will never leave you untouched. I know we tell ourselves nobody knows about it. It's a secret. It's a victimless crime. Nobody knows the things I've been looking at. Nobody knows the places I've been going. Nobody knows the things that I've done. Nobody knows the things that I've taken. It's a victimless crime. If I can live with it and God will forgive me of it, it don't hurt anything. But that's a lie you tell yourself. It's not true. It's not true. Your sin always affects other people. Always affects other people. Who did Achan's sin affect? Well, notice, number one, I see the effect upon the land. I won't reread it, but in verse number 4 and 5, we're told that when they went out to battle against Ai, that 36 men lost their lives that day because of the sin of Achan. 36 men that did not have to die, that died because of Achan's sin. Now, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, that's not fair. Those men didn't do anything wrong. No, that's true. That's why God killed Achan. I'm not saying that it's pleasant, but I'm saying God was just. 
Because Achan's whole family had to pay the price because of his sin. Why is that? Because 36 other families had to pay a price because of sin. I see its effect on the land. And can I say that the problem, boy, <laughs> the problem in our country, are you, are you listening? The problem in our country is not the reprobates marching under rainbow flags. That's not the problem in our country. You say, preacher, but that is a problem. Oh, it's a problem, but that's not the problem. They've been doing that since ancient days. There's, they've been doing that. You say, preacher, the, the problem is these God haters that are pouring all this poison in, in kids' minds in public school and so on and so forth. That's not the problem. That is a problem. I agree with you. That is not the problem. Preacher, the problem is these deep state petty bureaucrats on their power trips. That's not the problem. That's a problem, but that's not the problem. You know what the problem is? It is not the open sin of unbelievers. It is the hidden sin of believers. Hey, it wasn't the pagan defiance of Ai that won the day. It was the hidden sin of Israel that lost the day. Can I tell you, the problem is not that the world's winning. The problem is the church is losing. The problem is not that the world's winning. Hey, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But she can sure enough lose the battle on her own. The problem is not all that sin up there in Washington. The problem is all that sin down here in the heart. The problem is not all them folks up in the White House. You say, preacher, you like them? No, I don't like them any better than you do. I'm sick of them just like you are. But that's not the problem in the White House. It's the problem in the church house that is weakening our influence in the world. I see that. I don't, some of y'all, I'm glad some of y'all like it. The rest of y'all get right and you will. I'm not trying to be ugly, but this is truth now. I know it's easier to just sit and just just put that main line of rage in and feel like all the problems are out there and not in here. But I'm here to tell you the truth this morning. And the truth is, the problem is in our hearts. You say, but preacher, they're all messed up. Yeah, they are, and they've always been. We're the ones that God cleansed and justified and sanctified. And we've allowed sin in our lives to corrupt us. The problem, hey, you say they're broken. Yeah, and they've always been. But we're the one that God picked up the pieces and put back together, so why are we falling apart again? The problem is in here. I see its effect on the land, but I see its effect on his loved ones. Uh, there were innocent people that died because of Achan's sin. I, listen, you, you could say, well, preacher, you know, his wife probably knew about it, and maybe, maybe she did. I don't know. Maybe she knew about it. I don't know her name, but Mrs. Aiken, she might have been right there with it. She might have known about it. Said, preacher, how could they even, I mean, it's hidden the tent. His kids probably knew about it. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, what you gonna blame on the ox? What did the sheep know about? What'd they do wrong? Here's the reality of the matter. Your sin will not only hurt those that you feel deserve to be hurt. We tell ourselves, if my sin, if my roosters ever come home to roost, uh, my chickens, roosters, chicken roosters, whatever they are. <laughs> If everything, if the, if the cows come home to roost, somebody say amen to that, and if the chickens start to give milk, if that ever happens in my life, it's only going to affect those that have been involved with it. Boy, I wish that was true. I wish it was true that your sin was only going to hurt those that deserve to be hurt. But the reality is your sin don't care. Your sin will hurt all those in your life. Those precious innocent babies didn't do nothing wrong. Hey, it'll hurt them. Hey, listen, that, that praying mama or that praying grandmama that loves you, that's been begging God for you, it'll break her heart too. doesn't matter who it is. Your children, your children's children, your children's children's children. It will go on and on. It destroyed his family all over hidden sin. I see the great tragedy. You know, that's sad. That's tragic. It, 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 it's horrible that this happened. 
But you know, there's a, there's a more ironic tragedy here. Can I read a, a couple verses to you? Look over in chapter 8 with me. Let's read the first two verses of chapter number 8. Notice what happens. The Bible says here, Achan's dead, his family's dead, all the accursed things have been burnt with fire, the, uh, the stones have been raised off. What then happens in the story? Chapter number 8 begins this way, verse number 1. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. Notice verse 2. Thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. You know, the great tragedy of hidden sin is not just what it destroys, but it's what it deprives us of. (laughs) I mean, think about how this must have impacted the nation. You know, God's intention was for them to destroy Ai the first time. Had God known that they were going to destroy Ai the first time, had Achan not sinned, before this had ever happened, God would have looked at Achan and said, all right, you did the right thing. You gave the spoil of Jericho to me. Now all the spoil of Ai belongs to you. But because he had defrauded God, because he stole, because he took in defiance that which did not belong to him, it delayed the greater blessings of God in his life. And ultimately, because he died in that condition, it deprived him of those things. You don't have to accept what I'm about to say. I wouldn't fall out with you if you didn't. But I, if I know God the way I know Him, I wouldn't be surprised to find out there's a little bit better Babylonian garment sitting in Ai. I wouldn't be surprised to find out there's a few extra shekels of silver sitting in Ai. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that there was a little bit bigger wedge of gold somewhere in the rubble of Ai that had Achan's name on it. But here's the problem. Because he took it by sin, he lost it by right. And he died without ever experiencing the greater blessings of God. You know, the great tragedy of hidden sin in your life is that it robs us of God's blessings. God couldn't wait to bless the children of Israel. He, I mean, just as soon as, as the, the smoke and dust had settled from Jericho, He said, now listen, boys, I've got a better bounty for you. I've got a better spoil for you. Just waiting on you. But because one man said, I'll not wait on God. I'll take it unto myself and I'll do it on my terms and I'll do it my way. Thirty-six men died. The blessings of God were delayed. And for that man's life, he never experienced all that God had for him because of the hidden sin that he took unto himself. Hey, who knows what God's trying to do in your life if you just confess your sin and give it to Him? Who knows what God is trying to give you if you quit clinging to that thing that doesn't belong to you? And give it back to God and say, God, I was wrong. I sinned. I messed up. Please cleanse me. Please forgive me of it. Who knows? God's sitting there leaning over the banisters of heaven just waiting to unlatch that window and open it and pour those blessings in your life. But He won't do it while you got sin in your life. You say, why is it, preacher? Because then you'll think you got it by your defiance and by your rebellion and not by His favor and blessings. Achan died without ever tasting the richness of God's blessings in his life. Because he chose to take sin unto himself. Take something that didn't belong unto him unto himself. He chose to do it on his terms instead of God's. And the great ironic tragedy was if he had just waited two more days, he could have experienced greater blessing. Who knows what that sin is preventing in your life? 
Who knows what things God is setting up there with broken heart and tear-filled eyes saying, I, I just, I want to bless them. I want to do it for them. I, 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 I'm chomping at the bit to do this in their life. But you refuse to confess that thing and give it to God. He won't sanction your sin. He won't condone your sin and He won't bless your sin. He'll sure enough bless you, but He won't bless your sin. And until you get that thing out in His eyes, out in the open, you might, He already knows about it. You might as well go ahead and confess it to Him and ask His forgiveness. Ask Him to cleanse you of it. But until you do that thing, it will wreak havoc in your life. It will bring you no joy. It will bring you only misery. And if it stays there long enough, it will destroy all that you have and all that you are. It will destroy not just those that you think deserve it, but those that you know don't deserve it. And it will rob you of the great blessings of God in your life until you get that thing dealt with. Let's bow together this morning. Musician will come and play. The altar's open. You don't have to wait. You know that. You can come even right now in this very moment. And you say, well, preacher, if I, if I go to that altar, somebody's going to think i got sin in, in my life. Well, number one, wouldn't you rather get right with God than worry about... Go ahead and just take that, that hypocrite's mask off. and Go ahead and just deal honestly with God. He already knows about it. He's the one with whom we have to do. Then I would say, number two, anybody that would have that frame of mind is only masking the sin in their own heart. Because if we were all to be honest, there's been times from moment to moment, from time to time, where we've harbored things in our heart. It's no shame to get right with God. It's a shame to play games with God. It's no shame to get right with God. It's a shame to rebel against God. If God's dealt with your heart, if there's something in your life, quit lying to you about it. Quit lying to God about it. He already knows about it anyway. And go ahead and confess it. And let God have His will and way. Do like Joshua said, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus with